This is Shannon in Durham, Chip in Durham, and Erica in Edmonton. And you are listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 108, Wheel of Fire. Guys, we've got like three more episodes after this. No. It's getting close. That's not possible. <laughs> wow. I would agree with you, Erica, except that... Boy, this episode has a certain air of finality hanging over it, even though it's not over. Oh, my goodness, does it? Yeah, as I was taking notes and I started writing, you know, hey, there's uh, this character's exit ticket. Hey, there's this. Oh, my God. They're giving like almost everybody their exit tickets this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's going to be left? Yeah, it's like all of these characters. And I mean, that started happening a while ago. We already had Dr. Franklin near the beginning of the season. Like, but it's like all these characters are being pointed toward their various exit rows, (laughs) being like, you're going to follow the flashing lights in that direction. And now now it's like all of you people are following the flashing lights in this direction. And yeah, it's just closing in. What yeah. must this have been like for the people who were watching B5 in real time who didn't pay attention to fandom and sort of stuff like that would just didn't know necessarily that this was going to be the end of the series. Yeah, that would have created a tone of what's going on? Who's going to be left? Are we going to be recasting anybody? What what's happening? Yeah, that, that Yeah, would- and I mean it also like if you I suppose it depends on like what level of bits of knowledge you might have gleaned. Like you if you absolutely had no idea at all that it was like a five-year story and that it was winding down uh you might think that that you know something drastic was going to happen that that was just going to pull everybody back together the way television often does like it seems mm. darkest before the dawn and then you know the by the end of the episode or the end of the, the series or the season everybody's back together but yeah if you but if you had if you didn't know much else and you just knew that this was uh this was the last season then it might make a little bit of sense yeah, because otherwise everyone would be, yeah, like you said, panicking about, okay, what's the next thing that's going to happen to bring everybody together? Because this whole episode is just kind of like settling things that now have room to breathe because they fixed the Centauri conflict for the moment. <laughs> yep. Fixed. For the moment, I said. Yeah, that that would be an interesting thing to find out. I don't know how many of our listeners that play on our website might remember what, what they were thinking if they came in at around this time came in with TNT and were not aware that the TNT was giving them the last season. If there was any marketing to that effect, um, I imagine there wouldn't be because they would want people to like start watching. But yeah, if you guys know, please share. But in the meantime, let's take a look at what you need to know before watching this episode. During the Shadow War, Jakar had some revelations that he tried to write down and explore, but they were published without his permission and he finds himself being revered as a religious icon. During the Shadow War, Lita Alexander was modified by the Vorlons into a telepath of immense power. After the war, she was mostly ignored until needed again, learned more of the Psycor's continued abuse of control of human telepaths, and has gotten deeply involved in the efforts to bring down the Corps. During the Shadow War, Michael Garibaldi was captured by the Shadows and then used by the Psycor to become an unwilling traitor in the Earth's Civil War. After learning how Psychop Bester violated him and inserted neural blocks to prevent him gaining revenge, Garibaldi relapsed into alcoholism. Which leads us to Wheel of Fire. Now that the big issue of the Centauri conflict is over for the moment, a bunch of other issues resurface, demanding everyone's attention. 
Jakar's followers are becoming a problem, both on the station as it becomes a pilgrimage destination for the Narn, and back home, where government factions are trying to capitalize on Jakar's popularity. Earth's government has gathered enough evidence to show that Lita is using her payout from the Narn government to fund terrorist attacks against the Psycor, and they demand that Captain Lockley turn Lita over to them. Lita refuses and shows her hand by taking over the minds of every person around her except Lockley. Sheridan is unaffected because of his own experiences with the Vorlons and gets the drop on her long enough for Lockley to knock her out with a punch. Garibaldi's drinking problem comes out. Sheridan suspends him from duty to give him a chance to recover, but Lockley shares her own history of substance abuse and then summons Lise, Garibaldi's fiancée, to help him. Two deals are struck. Jakar has decided to distance himself from Narn and explore the galaxy and offers to take Lita with him, while Lita arranges for Garibaldi to continue funneling funds into the efforts to bring down the Psycor in exchange for removing Bester's neural block. And we learn that Delenn is pregnant, something that she, Sheridan, and Dr. Franklin thought was near impossible. And that is Wheel of Fire. We're back to not exactly A plot, B plot, C plot, but this sort of triangle of characters that are getting involved with each other as we start shifting pieces off the board, so to speak. Yeah, and it's it's a lot. I mean, yeah, we keep talking about how we're winding down and counting down, but there's a, a lot going on. And the, the fact that you said characters, I think, really stands out. That was something that Stephen mentioned once it was over. He said it was a character piece. It was a pretty oh, yeah. good character piece, he thought. Um, and it was. I, I just like that even at this sort of late stage in the game, that is that's a really important thing to this show is the the integrity of the characters and showing where these characters have 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 gone how much they have have traveled in their own little you know personal universes it's it's just really fulfilling to watch them interact with each other and think about you know where they've come from so Jakar especially springs to mind Absolutely. when i think about that and well mm-hmm. like you said you know character growth continuity i mean there was a ton of continuity nods going throughout this thing that, you know, we'll mention them here and there as they come up. But yeah, just it felt so cohesive and so very much a part of uh, the arc and the show. Right. And with the show beginning, well, the show has been winding down for several weeks now, but with the end in sight, there's only so much you can do with narrative arc and all you're kind of left to work with is character. If this was a different kind of show where the Earth Civil War would have ended in episode 21 of season five or something like that, that would be different. But uh, since this show is structured to have a denouement and uh, to, to resolve everything in the end, what's left but to explore how this story has changed the characters and where they might go after the story ends. Exactly. So Erica mentioned Jakar, so we can start with him and his his journey and what's going on now and what's brought him here. Can we say something a little bit about the little spring in Lockley's step as she's getting ready to give the reveal? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I had I had forgotten about that. And I was just I was I was honestly I was right there emotionally with Jakar being like, oh, that's so nice of her to just show up and, and welcome him back. And her, mm-hmm. like, now looking back on that first scene, you're right. It's the spring in her step, the twinkle in her eye. But at, at she's first, playful. Just, she's playful she's for, like, the totally. first time all year. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. And and it feels natural. And then, you know, as she's just adorably leaving and just being like, well, I got a meeting, got to go. Bye. It's just <laughs> so perfect. Yeah, that was so new. Because like Jakar, I was thinking, you know, oh, you know, that's nice of her, you know, reaching out to the other major figures on the station. And then it hits me. Oh, my God, she's playing. Him. Oh, my God, she's playing him. And yeah. 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 Now, yeah, I so wish... Funny. I wish that uh, what Jakar saw had been more creatively staged. That seemed to be a kind of paltry crowd of Narn, and I wasn't sure about the quality of the makeup all the way in the back rows. Uh, and then they started Wayne's Worlding, and that was meh. But uh, <laughs> I thought Andreas Katsoulis, uh played it very well. Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, as far as crowd scenes go, like, I, I don't think that this is all that much worse than some of the other ones we've seen in the history of this show. So it was it was totally fine for me. And I mean, like, you know, the the area that they're in isn't super huge. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's fine. Itty Maybe not that space. many. Not that many Narn got the message to, to, to he- head down there at that very moment. So, you know, he talks about how more and more are coming all the time after he's arrived. Yeah, it it worked for me as well. Uh, You know, just the fact that they only had so much space to work with and they had to get as many people and as many props in there as possible. So, (laughs) yeah. The signs and the dolls. Mm. Right. (laughs) So Jakar spends much of the rest of the episode wandering around with that statue of him. I don't know that they're literally turning him into a religious icon, but uh, it feels pretty darn darn close to it um certainly a political icon as well well they think he is miraculous so i would say religious for sure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it pays off in the end when he has his conversation with uh sheridan and delin and he talks about how bad it is when you get turned into the statue Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that was that was that was great i love the the, once you turn into this brandishing the statue you can no longer be who you are like his line about how you can only just be what they expect you to be and that that sort of got me thinking on a on a a real world tangent just about the sort of the nature of fame in our society uh Mm -hmm. which you know even more now with the social media and twitter and facebook and all that kind of stuff than at the time really really affects how how people who are really in the spotlight can or cannot live their lives and it just it makes me kind of sad for some some real world figures that they can't hop in a spaceship with a telepath and head for the unknown uncharted territories right so mm-hmm. assuming that he follows through with his plan um right. you know he's taking himself off the grid that's basically his solution to everything and we keep going back to season one jakar could season one jakar have ever imagined himself being in this position and taking that action oh, of course not that that's you know part of the beauty of the show that uh JMS has made a point of because it is a five year, he's got a limited amount of time. He's not having to come up with new things like, you know, say soap operas or, you know, shows that run 15 seasons that he doesn't have to keep coming up with new stuff to happen. He can guide these characters from this beginning to the very improbable end that you never would have thought could happen when you started watching. Yep. He's come a long way, baby. (laughs) and the juxtaposition of of him offering to have lita go with him you know that made me think back to their first meeting in the gathering and (laughs) you know we we talked uh previously when she went back to jakar to offer i will do what you wanted to do i'll trade you genetic material 
if you will, give me the funding that I want. Now it's one step further, and Jakar is hoping to help not find herself exactly, but um, heal, maybe, mm-hmm. from everything that's happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think that's the way he's looking at it. I think by the end of the episode, we as the audience, or at least I as an audience member, had a different view of what it is that Lita needs to do. Right. It's, it's not so much healing as coming to terms with mm-hmm. the person and creature that she actually is, that she's only really starting to truly understand. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, but before we go to Lita, um, mm-hmm. I like how Jakar plays it when he sort of walks in and hears he doesn't allow as to how much he's heard of Delin and John's conversation. So he's got a little bit of plausible deniability, which is probably <laughs> very helpful for all concerned that yeah. he can still claim that he didn't know that Lita was funneling the Narn money into terroristic stuff. We can <laughs> assume that Jakar is genuinely not happy about that and would be very happy with the public solution that Garibaldi presented about what to do with the money and the ledger and all that other good stuff. But as far as Jakar is concerned, he and Lita have a deal that is going to help her people and it's going to help her. He's completely oblivious, at least as far as we know, to the second part of the deal that Lita struck. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I've, that scene actually just had me going once again, like in my notes and caps is like, what is the deal with the open hallway outside the captain's office? <laughs> We've had that all the way through the show. And it just seems like the dumbest, like there's just a huge security risk, although it's great for drama. But still. exactly, exactly. <laughs> that is your careful scenic MacGuffin for whenever you need somebody to overhear something important. Yep. When the station architects put in their bids for designing it, the Watson architecture firm lost out. The Doyle architecture firm <laughs> had the low bid. Bravo. Yes. Well done. Well done. Anything else at the moment on the Jakar front? Or um, shall we? We've been started talking about Lita. We can keep talking about the other things that happened to her this episode. Let's I'm talk good. about Lita. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the telepath in the room, so to speak. Things are going to be escalating on the telepath front, it certainly looks like. I don't know about the rest of you, but this the confrontation between Lita and Lockley and Sheridan read a little differently in my memory than it did on screen. I didn't remember it myself, but I will I will say for our, our control group, uh Steven he he thought that that seemed like a real a bit of a sudden turn uh, of Lita just into into a villain uh, all of a sudden he he would have liked you know yes all of that could have sort of been happening off screen in the last few episodes you know since since Byron's death but he he said that he really would have liked that storyline sort of maybe peppered in a little bit more because mm-hmm. like it was just a full on standoff in the Zocalo and he just thought like he was just like that escalated quickly and I don't think he was entirely comfortable with it and I I can see his point like I I always want to hand wave it away with with headcanon about what she was experiencing and doing in the meantime and how we find out about how she's you know the thermonuclear device of telepaths and all that kind of stuff but it still makes that that's that scene still feels very yeah we've seen her be a badass but we haven't seen her be that kind of a like super boundary crossing um scary creepy badass before i can almost 
by it, I think. Yes, she's been off screen. Um, we have seen, you know, very little of uh, what she's been doing since Byron's death. But if I think back to just how profoundly events in the first half of the season affected her uh, with getting to know Byron, with learning his philosophy, and with seeing him having to uh, wind up killing himself when everything went out of control, I can kind of see her, you know, and, and, and Lockley, you know, brings Zach and, you know, there's a whole, she's surrounded by a whole platoon of, of security guards. So I can mm-hmm. kind of see, like Lockley sort of tipped her hand as to how serious this situation is. So she's ready to tip hers back and show them something of what she's capable of. So I, I can kind of see it, you know, the, the the last straw. I mean, and a little bit later, Franklin airs all the grievances that Lita has been building up and Sheridan acknowledges, okay, yes, but they still didn't do anything about it in time to stop this. Mm. So I can kind of see it. I go yeah. back to Lita walking through Garibaldi's sleeping mind. And yeah, I think which that... I- I didn't think that was real before, and now I'm wondering. Yeah. I I have no question in my mind that that was real. So I think that she was totally crossing the line and totally exploring the boundaries of her powers back then. So I draw a through line from that transgression to her playing hardball with the Drazi when she and Franklin were exploring the Centauri situation to this point, we find out at the very same time that Lockley finds out that Lita's been funding terroristic activities, and she's not great at it, um, as she admits to Garibaldi. Uh, otherwise, mm-hmm. she wouldn't be sitting in the brig. You know, this is not her forte. That's why she needs a sneaky, soon-to-be former director of security. Uh, mm-hmm. The other thing that I that was so much bigger in my memory than it turned out to be on screen was uh, when Sheridan comes in from the side. In my mind, she's got the whole Zocalo under control and that creepy situation lasts for a lot longer. And then there's the dramatic reveal of the gun at the side of the head. You're not the only person who's been touched by a Vorlon. It actually kind of happened fairly perfunctorily for me just seeing it again i just sort of built that confrontation up because it's such a great line you're not the only one who's been touched by a vorlon i wasn't quite as awesome as i remembered it (laughs) like i said i didn't remember it so so yeah i mean i wouldn't say awesome in the in the sense of the word you know of awe particularly but it wasn't i would still say it was a neat moment like yeah, it was it, it was I didn't remember it. I didn't expect it. I think both Stephen and I made some sort of gasp or laugh or something at the moment where he, you know, pulls the PPG, which was, you know, a nice piece of directing by Janet Greek to have a tight enough shot that you don't see him sidling up or getting, you know, getting all up in there. So, yeah, it was still, yeah, maybe not full of awe, but I would say full of cool. There you go. It's it's yeah. coolsome. Yeah, it, it worked for me. It was a glimpse of Sheridan the Badass that we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had remembered that it happened. And while I could appreciate it, I also was just like, Sheridan, you idiot. This is, <laughs> you, you've blown all your previous chances. Are you going to blow this one too? Well, um, what else what he was, was it, what I, else was he going to do? I mean, she she literally had that whole section of the Zocalo under her control. Right. But I guess my point is, why couldn't you have done something before it got to this point? I guess is what I'm what I was wishing. 
Well, I don't think he had any idea that she had gotten to the point where, A, she had these kind of powers. Like, there was no way to protect that. And then, mm-hmm. B, he's never been super great at paying attention to where she is, you know, emotionally. Yeah. So I don't think he would have known th- that uh, that she was funneling money to, to, to terrorist organizations either. Yeah, it just felt to me like the culmination of so many lost opportunities if he had done things earlier to try and help take care of her or, you know, show her that she was appreciated instead of just like, you know, hey, we need we need our super telepath. Mm-hmm. It just felt like a logical and ugly conclusion to how many times that she was taken for granted. Maybe. Yeah. It's not all about her, though. I mean, no. uh, it is the systematic oppression of telepaths and her seeing a way forward to uh, do do something about it. So it's not just about her having been taken for granted. It's about her entire mm. people being taken for granted. Yeah. Right. Even right. if she had, even if, even if, you know, she had had a lot of support, both emotional and financial all the way along, I, I think you could still make an argument that she would still end up at this place doing exactly this same thing, simply because it means so much to her people. Anything else as far as this sort of half of Lita's story? Because, you know, it leads into her striking her deer with Gar- Garibaldi. Yeah, and I love how we find out how that deal comes across in flashback. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, so we have this. We have the opening of the scene with her and Garibaldi in the jail cell, and then he explains the deal to uh, Sheridan, and everybody nods and yup, 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 and okie dokie. That's how we're going to play this. She's going to go off with Jakar. Everything's hunky uh, hunky dory. And then after he has his conversation with Lise, where he also tells her half of the story, we get the flashback where it's not that simple. And both Lita and Garibaldi are being pretty darn conniving. If Garibaldi didn't want this, if he not only didn't want to deal with Bester so bad, but if he also didn't want Psychor taken down mm-hmm. so bad... Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have gone through with this. So he is just as complicit as Lita is in continuing the funding of terrorism against the Psycor. Yep. I mean, it's really, mm-hmm. oh, uh, you know, they they have dark music and they have Garibaldi like looking all pensive. But it is, you know, from their perspectives, kind of a win-win situation. Like everybody is getting the the, the goal that they want. So and it, it seems like kind of poetic justice, too, that, that Garibaldi, who will be, you know, marrying Lisa and taking over half of half ownership. Like she actually said that. So no prenup. Um, it sounds mm-hmm. like he's going to it sounds like he's he's probably going to ha- be half in charge, if not more than that, since he seems to know what he's doing. And uh uh, this is the organization that, uh, you know, funded the creation of the telepath virus. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I like the idea uh, poetically that it, the the, f- the funds of that corporation are actually going to be used to take down Psychor eventually, <laughs> you know, in a way. Maybe, um, maybe. But to help, but possibly to, but it's being done to help telepaths in in the long run from from Lita's perspective at from least. Lita's perspective it's yep. it, this is an interesting partnership here uh, talk, talk about good cop bad cop although who's the bad cop sort of flips <laughs> at any given point in time but Lita is against the psychor Garibaldi aside from his interest in Talia Winters he's been pretty much suspicious of if not bigoted against uh mm-hmm. zach goes a little further in that regard 
-hmm. telepaths in general. Mm -hmm. So if I'm Garibaldi, I'm making this deal while I'm also worrying a little bit about, let's say, there's a revolution against Psycor. What comes next? What's the status of telepaths going to be, you know? Yeah. In my head, Garibaldi thinks, well, for now, I've made a deal with Lita that promises me the hope of getting my neural block lifted so that I can kill Bester and does something to go against the Psycor, which is an evil force on the planet. I guess I'll figure out what to do about telepaths. And and the fact that <laughs> the fact that, as you put it, the poetic justice of Edgar's industries going up against Psychor, in a way that's still Edgar's industries going up against telepaths. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think whether it's because he's focused on being able to take down Bester and by extension the Psychor, I think this is part of Garibaldi's path. I mean, he started out in early seasons not liking telepaths in general, you know, just being, you know, leery of what they can do, not not liking the fact that they can just jump into your brain and I don't care what your rules are in Psychor. I mean, he he went through, you know, getting to know Talia Winters to the point where he was devastated and mourning at times when she suffered the death of personality and, you know, the Talia Winters he knew is no longer there. Combined Bester with... taunting him about uh, having right? her dissected. And combine that with Bester's actions turning him into a specific enemy. So I can see where Garibaldi has evolved. And plus, he's gotten to know Lita. He's worked with Lita. I feel like even though it may not be as explicit as um, it is for other characters, I think he's evolved to the point where he's not quite so much down on telepaths as he is on the Psychor. And that's another reason that he goes for this, not just um, for his personal revenge. That, In my opinion. What did you guys think about Sheridan and Lockley's different approaches for trying to help Garibaldi um, now that his drinking problem has come out in the open? I thought they were both really heartfelt and but done appropriately for the characters that they are. I think they, okay. they both reached out uh, in, in the best way that they knew how, even though Sheridan did make it a little bit a lot about himself. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my thought was that Lockley's approach, I think, worked a hell of a lot better. You know, Sheridan comes right out and and says, he's been through this before with Franklin. Why didn't he say something sooner? Why didn't he step up sooner? You know, why did he miss it until it got to this point, having been through it, something like that before? You know, and Lockley turns around and, you know, just goes very practically, first sharing her own experience, trying to tell him, I really know where you're coming from, and I will support you in this, to doing the very practical thing of, hey, fiance, get back over here. He needs you. Only she says, she forges the message to make it sound like it's from him. So she takes some very practical steps to get him back on the road to the recovery beyond Sheridan's, I'm going to suspend you, not fire you. So I'm not going to make everybody think you're a failure, but I'm going to give you enough space to start recovering on your own. I think that kind of shows the difference between somebody who has not only experienced addiction, but experienced living with addiction and mm-hmm. somebody who really hasn't. Because, I mean, yeah, Sheridan sort of went with it with, with Franklin, but they were never like super close buds in, in the like in, yeah. in a way that would make me think that he would understand how to deal with somebody who, who has addiction. Sheridan experienced that from the outside. He, he watched Franklin walk away from his job. He accepted his resignation and mm-hmm. you know didn't really know what to do with that. And I don't yeah. think he necessarily took it as a learning experience. So mm-hmm. I feel like this was fitting. I don't think he even knew until Franklin um, mm-hmm. resigned. Yeah. yeah. 
Mm -hmm. So he's in his own head sort of uh, retrospectively going, yeah, I guess I should have seen that and I didn't. And then does it again with Garibaldi. So that is a Mm -hmm. pretty self-centered process there. Tracy Scoggins does so much in this episode that she wasn't allowed to do in previous episodes. She emotes from gleeful and puckish to uh, Jakar at the beginning to mm-hmm. frustrated and heartfelt in talking with Garibaldi this time around. That's pretty good. And it would have come out of nowhere if it weren't for Day of the Dead. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. But I hear a but from Erica. No, I'm just saying, like, you're you're right. That is that is the case. I mean, it's, that's not going to necessarily make me like Day of the Dead all that much more as an episode, but I mm. do appreciate its function within the season. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, uh, one, okay. other, one other yes. thing that I've been thinking about, at the time that we're recording... We've been seeing a lot in social media in the last couple of days about mental health and about how difficult it is for people to ask for help and how frequently the message when someone prominent takes their own life or has other personal challenges, frequently a lot of the messaging out there is, If you need help, call someone and here's the suicide prevention hotline or here's the national mental health hotline or something like that. And that's not quite what Sheridan does. Sheridan takes an affirmative step to try to give Garibaldi some support. But Lockley is all in. She Mm -hmm. confronts him. She empathizes with him openly. She supports him and she takes a couple of steps to make it harder for him to just kick the can down the road by engaging lease. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was, I thought that that was pretty good. Nobody can do it for Garibaldi, but there are things that people can do to help people who are struggling. And to Lockley's credit, Lockley doesn't hesitate. Mm-hmm. And I think one very important thing that she does is she doesn't allow herself to be chased away by right. his anger and vitriol because she understands mm-hmm. it and she's been there and she knows that it's just, you know, that's that's the illness sort of flailing to to keep the help away so it can, you know, continue on its not so merry path and uh and she she gets it. So she's she sticks this, she sticks with it. And she stays in the trenches and uh, and and eventually does get through to him at least enough that he's able to t- sort of take the first steps. And I think he's 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 ready to l- at least look in that direction even before Lise shows up. So I think mm-hmm. that that's a, a a nice a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I I made note that Franklin was not a focus of this episode, but man, he was like in this episode a lot, sort of just like being a, a, like a bit of glue, sort of holding everything together. We've got his discussion with Jakar. We've got him sort of being present for a lot of other conversations. And then, of course, he's there when uh, Sheridan and Delenn discover that they uh, looks like they're going to have a baby. Um, mm-hmm. And I just really liked his presence being there, kind of really steady all the way through. Yeah, my one a moment that actually just really stood out for me is it's just this tiny little thing. He's it's before he's even seen Jakar. He's going to see him and he's walking through the hallway and seeing mm-hmm. all of these Narn and the the just 
little bit of amusement on his face harkens back to when he was watching Jakar trying to give that lecture to all of the Narns and many of them right. were not getting it. And it just, he's he's a little bit bemused. He's a little bit amused. It was it was just this really subtle piece of acting uh, with no dialogue that I enjoyed greatly. Yeah, uh, I like that, that bit as well. And then I like that how he's able to offer Jakar... <laughs> I'm not sure if it's an outsider's perspective. Um, it's not exactly advice, but, you know, he sort of does for Jakar what Jakar has been trying to do with his followers as he explains things, you know, asking the right questions, sort of pointing the person towards a place where they can start to see the solution for themselves. Yeah, yeah. I thought that that monologue-ish thing about the nature of God and the puzzles that are too hard, I had trouble following the thread of where that came from. In relation to Jakar's dilemma, it just felt like the script got away from us uh, there for a little bit. It was a, it was a nice speech, but it, it it did seem to be all like that entire little speech was in reply to one line that Jakar said, just that very last line about why does the universe give us unsolvable puzzles? Um, so yeah, right, it, it, right. It, it it as a response, I mean, it, it does make sense, but as a as a dramatic piece, it doesn't necessarily flow with the rest of that conversation. It's just kind of a, a cool Franklin-ish thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jakar's got a practical problem here, and that was not a very practical conversation. <laughs> True, but this is also Franklin who knows that Jakar, you know, has has become very friendly with philosophizing, and you know that's that's the kind of thing I would expect a a, a friend or a colleague to to throw into the conversation just to sort of get the the mental juices flowing. So I w- I liked it. Yeah, but throughout this episode, Richard Biggs is great. He, as you said, Shannon, he doesn't drive the plot to any particular extent, but he is. As Greek choruses go, he uh, he couldn't. You couldn't ask for better. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, of course, we have Sheridan and Delenn get some news that they were not expecting. Uh, I I was delighted. I had forgotten how Delenn like comes in ranting about <laughs> the Narn Kari in a extremely undelenn like fashion. I we have like almost never seen her lose her temper like that. And then she winds up uh, collapsing on the floor. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is where they find out that she's (laughs) pregnant. Hormones, yay. And I really enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed Sheridan's talk to to Franklin about, you know, this is not something we expected. And if we can have this child and have Delenn go through it safely, then I'm all for it. Her first. But, you know, yay that we might have a child out of this. I remember the week of original air date, it was probably we probably watched it live because TNT, mm-hmm. November 4th, 1998, I remember when she hit the deck, you, Shannon, knew exactly what had happened. <laughs> you, 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 just, you, you were just plugged into that trope. <laughs> Seemed obvious to me. <laughs> so... I don't know, Erica. Did that, did that? Do you remember if that crossed your mind at the time, or I really don't remember. <laughs> I would like to think that it did, but I had forgotten that that was this reveal coming this time. So I, mm-hmm. so it, it did spring to mind as soon as she passed out this time. That and the fact that I was admiring her shoes because she's wearing this pair of gold pumps are great. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I was split between the costume director in my mind and also going, "Oh right, this is this is a thing." 
Yeah. Because we know from back in War Without End, when, you know, Sheridan got flung into a possible future that whatever mm -hmm. future he visited, you know, 20 years on, they had had a child and they'd had a son. So, yep. um, so I, I, yeah, it did not surprise me at all to have that shoe drop now. That gold pump. Drop. <laughs> yep. Ominously enough, we have all of these things happening, uh, not so good things, and yet it seems like everything that it, it's almost like an encapsulated episode again, because even though most of what has happened is rooted in continuity, events happen to lead us to this place. It feels like these problems are all being settled and, you know, put aside, wrapped bow on them. And then we get after Sheridan and Nidalen's conversation, they wonder what Londo is doing. We see what Londo's doing. And it's mm. the total opposite of what they imagine. He is sitting there alone in the dark, just him and his keeper. Oh, that's just, it's a gut punch. Mm-hmm. It is such a gut punch at the end of this episode. And it just, it, it left me awash with all of these emotions about, about, you know, we talked about all the other characters in Jakar and how far he's come. I had the same experience just in that brief scene of Londo, just thinking about, oh, look how far he's come and then how, how much farther he came from where, you know, he, he had mm -hmm. this pinnacle and then now he is, he's sacrificed himself for his people and is miserable. And it's, just, it, yeah, there were a lot of feels. There were a lot of feels at the end of this episode. Have we got any other thoughts, anything else that Stephen noticed, uh, you know, in general, direction-wise? Um, Stephen and, and I also really enjoyed the the scene between Sheridan and Garibaldi. Um, mm -hmm. Just thought that was yes. pretty masterfully written and acted, and the direction was simple enough that it was the actors were really just able to shine. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Janet, Janet Greek and her character work. So that was that was nice. Actually, Stephen whispered uh, when when her name appeared in the credits, just Janet Greek returns, and <laughs> uh, it, and yeah, just to the the direction he also. Uh, noticed that at the beginning we actually saw some dissolves, which is not a thing that happens a lot in, in Babylon 5, when you had Garibaldi waiting in the office and Delenn and and John in the hallway arguing. Mm -hmm. uh, we can't hear them arguing, but we see it. And then that like the dissolving back and forth was sort of a nice directorial touch to make it feel a little bit arty, a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and when Garibaldi, speaking of him being drunk, when he me mixes up uh, Centauri and Mimbari and says the, the wrong thing, <laughs> Stephen just goes, eh, I do that too. <laughs> because that, he does. <laughs> I, I did think about that this time around. Yep. Sound yeah. Like. Yep. Yeah. But he, just, he really, he really agreed with, uh, with your thought, Shannon, about like exit tickets. He was just like, wow, people are, are getting ready to, to move on, aren't they? Mm -hmm. He also, um, He's like, don't tell me if I'm wrong, but is Crusade a road trip with Jakar and Lita? Does it become Highway to Heaven with them, like, saving people or not? It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to answer. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say one thing, you know, most, most of the time direction just sort of goes over my head and it's like, has to be something really cool or really clunky to grab my attention. I wasn't fond of the tightening the shot as Sheridan realizes that he's about to become a father that that felt like a step too far to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's like the only thing that like really leaped out at me negatively. So yeah, too that was tease. a little comedy boing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. We will move on to spoiler space in a few minutes, but before we do, everyone's homework is Objects in Motion. 
is our next episode. Please come join us on social media. We have our website at b5audioguide.com where people can chat about all of these episodes. We have spoiler safe space for those of you who have not seen all of this show before. And of course, the spoiler full space for everybody who wants to talk about all of it. We are also on Twitter and Tumblr at b5audioguide. And we will say goodbye to our new listeners uh, not long now before you guys get to like go back and listen all over again to the second half of all of these episodes. And in the meantime, we are going through a jump gate. Okay. Um, so there's a few things that can be pointed out, but it's, you know, because we're so close to the end of the show, most of these things are issues that come up in either crusade or ancillary media books and comics and so forth. So of course, We've got Jakar's leaving now, and we know he's going to be coming back at some point because he has to go and be there to strangle Londo in what is meant to be both a mercy killing and uh, covering up Sheridan and Delenn's escape in the War Without End events. And that turns out to be his own death because the Keeper wakes up um, and defends itself and they both wind up dying. Right. But none of that is really a spoiler because we've seen it all. True. Yeah, just, you know, not the exact circumstances of. So, um, you know, it's hinted at, but I don't know that it's uh, made 100% clear uh, until uh, until later on. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> One thing that uh, happens as a result of this, you know, Lita makes a deal that she's going to check in on Garibaldi in about two years or so. By absolutely no coincidence at all, uh, JMS's final attempt at a Babylon 5 spinoff, The Legend of the Rangers, for Sci-Fi Channel, the pilot movie takes place about two years after the end of season five, <laughs> barring <laughs> Sleeping in the Light. Jakar is the only returning character in this episode, aside from one of the Minbari Ranger trainees from earlier this season, played by a different actor, but it's supposed to be the same character. Anyway... Uh, mm -hmm. And towards the end of the episode, he mentions that he had been traveling with someone and she's gone now. And that was left ambiguous. Prior to Legend of the Rangers, of course, we had the aborted attempt at uh, Crusade, which talked about the past telepath war uh, and would have included a scene featuring Lita Alexander's last act in flashback. But yeah, it's not, it just doesn't end well for Lita. But it's never really entirely spelled out what happened to her because they didn't get around to it. That's the, the danger with, with truly serialized television, you know, a novel for TV. Like you, you risk having the endings not tie up the way that you want that, which is, you know, the same thing that we've experienced all the way through this show with, you know, characters having to come and go based on the mm -hmm. actors and, and that sort of thing. And yeah, it just continues on beyond the confines of Babylon 5 itself. Yeah. And that's one of the interesting things about these last several episodes is that they're not just wrapping up the character arcs and wrapping up the story of Babylon 5. They are also doing some work to set up the rest of the universe because of Crusade. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, JMS has said in interviews that in retrospect, he thinks it was probably a mistake to even try to do Crusade in the first place. He fell into the trap of not wanting all of his team to be out of work, looking for, mm -hmm. looking for jobs. Let's, just, let's keep the band together. 
I wonder if these last few episodes would have been marginally stronger if they hadn't taken some time to have Dolin go talk to the Great Council about combined uh, Mintbari Earthships. If the mm -hmm. business with the Drock on Centauri Prime had been entirely about Centauri Prime and entirely about bringing the future that we saw in War Without End to pass, as opposed to also establishing them as the big bads for Crusade. Things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Quite possibly. We will um, never know. Yeah. Um, but we will learn what happens uh, to Garibaldi. He, I think, more than almost any other character, gets his happy ending. Because we find out in uh, Sleeping in Light, 20 years on, uh, he and Lise are still happily married. They have a daughter. Very cool daughter. She's a tennis pro. And they're still running Eggers Industries. And things are going well. And... I don't remember at the moment whether it's addressed in Sleeping in Light or not, but he has put his demon to rest. Uh, we learn in um, some of the novels that Lita did remove the neural block from Garibaldi. Garibaldi receives his uh, comeuppance in the trilogy of Psychor novels by uh, J. Gregory Keyes. Mm -hmm. And there is a scene that JMS joked about online that he posted on Usenet before the series was over about how Garibaldi would react to Bester what would happen if Garibaldi ever caught up with him. And JMS described the scene of Garibaldi at Bester's graveside and driving a stake into the ground <laughs> there, <laughs> a la vampire. And that scene actually shows up in the uh, oh, Psychor okay. uh, tri trilogy of novels there. The Fate of Bester. Wow. Okay. So there is more stuff that did sort of get fleshed out from all of this uh, world building. If you do dig up those novels, you can have that bit of closure over the Garibaldi versus Bester stuff. Okay. Of course, you know, as World Without End points out, Sheridan and Delenn have a son, that apparently whatever happens that before Sheridan drops into this future in World Without End, Delenn has done something to uh, save their son. Uh, as it turns out, uh, the Drock really, really wanted to get a keeper on that kid. Because they saw that he had the potential to be an inc incredibly important figure in the future. Two episodes. Oh boy. That, that is almost all that's left. I think that we are two episodes away from our very last jump gate. Because when mm -hmm. you think about it, will we really need a jump gate for sleeping in the light? Probably not. No. I think, you know, we, we've already talked about having, having Steven as our control group on for the final episode, and he has multiple times mentioned how excited he is to be able to be on and be on the whole episode. So I think if we threw a jump gate in there, he would be very sad. <laughs> oh, well, wait, and, and that's the he case. He could just come with us. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. He could get to go through the jump gate. Aw. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to explore this. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I guess that will wrap up then Wheel of Fire. Uh, as always, we thank you all for listening and look forward to seeing uh, to talking to you next time uh, when we talk about objects in motion. And until then, this is Shannon and Durham. Chip and Durham. And Erica and Edmonton. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. Babylon 5.